This podcast is recorded on the traditional lands of the Wurundjeri people. Always was, always will be. We pay our respects to their elders past, present and emerging. Hey awesome nerds and welcome to another episode of D&D and TV, the weekly podcast where we rewatch and recap television shows that we really enjoy and talk about how the themes, concept and characters can be used in different role-playing games. I am your host Jeremy and joining me today is my co-host Afif. Say hello Afif. Hello Afif. What is going on with my words today? I don't know, really. It's okay. I'm pronouncing names wrong and I'm just... I don't know. Anyway, we are talking about Cyberpunk Edgerunners, uh, the fantastic Netflix series. We are talking about episode three of season one, Smooth Criminal. In this episode, surrounded by a group of rowdy edgerunners, David makes a plea to join their team. Meanwhile, sinister forces plot to lure him back to Arasaka Academy. Bom, bom, bom. The drama. And this is, I believe, the last time we talk about Katsuo, the school bully, my favorite character. It is. Enjoy it. You know, he's gone too quick, taken from us too soon. He's barely even in this episode. Well, he's not in this episode. He's mentioned in this episode. That's it. I didn't even get to see him. <laughs> sad. Such a sad, sad. It's, it's sad when characters outgrow their NPCs. Yeah. Because, I mean, that just happens. You know, it's a part of life when your PCs yeah. outgrow your NPCs. It's like when your backstory has this rivalry with someone and then by level two, you're already like able to wipe the floor with them. Yeah, you just over leveled. And then it's like this character, uh, they, they haven't been leveling up the whole time. So No, no. The Game Master really didn't really think about uh, keeping pace with the character progression. It's just, no, no, we're not, we forgot about that. Oh, well. Right, should we talk about the actual episode? I mean, happens? we could. We could if we have I to. I feel like this was, uh, this was a big episode, like a lot this of stuff This was a big changed. episode. Yeah. Uh, it is, it's a big episode, but it's also a really fast episode. Like, if you break it down to what happens in it, not a lot occurs. Yeah, it's very simple. Simple structure. Yeah. Yeah. Like, it starts off, basically picks up exactly where the last episode ended. With uh, in Lucy's apartment with these edge runners busting in and grabbing David and they're pissed they're deciding are we going to kill him what are we going to do because but he's got the Sandy the Sand Everstar that was meant for one of them yeah and it's like this is when you give your party a very simple kind of fetch quest and they just take so long you know they get stuck at the door for half an mm. hour trying to figure out how to open it Mm-hmm. Um, and you somehow just squeeze a whole session out of this one one hook. <laughs> yeah. It's like a 10-minute thing of just sitting there going, well, we could go this way, or we could go that way, or we tripped over, we failed our investigation role for where we got to go, and there's there's a lot yeah. there. And do you, as a DM, like, for me, I'm very happy to just be hands-off and let the players do that. But are you a bit more, would you get in there and kind of direct them a bit more, or...? I think it depends on the day, uh, but generally it's if they're starting to feel frustrated about it, uh, I will step in. Like if I can tell one of the players is getting fed up with it all, but doesn't seem to have the information or everybody else is just ignoring them, 
that's when I'll step in and go, okay, cool. We need to move things along. Let's get on with the plot because that kind of stops their fun. Yeah. Yeah. And it is like a, you've got to read the room kind of thing. Yeah. And I'd, I'd rather like, I feel that everyone's going to have fun with general D and D shenanigans and getting lost in these little, little segues of, Oh, we're going to have shenanigans. That's not fun for everyone. So I'd rather move those along if I have to. But most of the time, if everyone's having a good time, I'm just going to let it roll. I'm just going to yeah. just occasionally point out, I'll try to add to the fuel, add fuel to the chaos um, if I can. Yeah, and this um, this episode also has like a classic mid-heist kind of plot twist, like conversation. Oh, yeah. I love uh, that which does That does feel like, you know, oh, they're getting through the quest too quickly. So here's just like, let me just chuck in an extra bad guy or something like that. To just complicate it. Um, I don't know. I've got some. I've got some thoughts about that. We'll keep going through the episode real quick and get to that because I want to talk about. I think that's the main thing I want to talk about for this episode. Oh, okay. That that whole. Well, I guess the big thing. The big thing is just meeting the crew, right? That's the big thing because they're important. Yeah, and basically meeting the crew and finding out that the reason his mum had the Sandy was because she was going to sell it off to these people. And like, yeah. she wasn't the squeaky clean mother figure no, that he thought no she was. Clean in no, it's clean in Night City. Night City. <laughs> uh, but yeah, I, and he's also like, I can do it. I can help. And it, he shows off how cool he is with his Sandy. Um, and the cyberpunks are like, yeah, cool. I'm down with that. Yeah. And it's, I think it's important as well with these characters. They give us context as well for, mm. especially the power of the Sandevistan. Because before that, you're just like, you have no context, right? As the audience, unless you're familiar with the world, you're just like, oh, this is, this is something people can do, I guess. But seeing how blown away they are by all of it, Mm. you know, gives you that. um, Yeah. NPCs are great to expert dump. Yeah. There's a a moment, that's what they're for, really. Uh, There's a moment when he, when David asks, says he can pay it all off. Uh, He'll like, he'll work it off and main the edge runners like, that's military grade hardware. There's no way you could ever afford that. Like, so it's yeah, already like saying a lifetime. Things, yeah. Yeah. Even in his line of work. Yep. There's like saying, this is how much it's going to cost, but then also showing what it's able to do. They're like, Oh wow. And you're special too. So wow, yeah. Classic special boy, yeah. special yeah. boy anime trope. It's just a nice way of indicating to an audience, in this case us, like in a and d game, it'd be the party. Oh, I guess the players. It's like having the NPC say, hey, that's a really special thing. Look at all the amazing things you do with it. Yeah, absolutely. I guess um, I want to say it's an example of show, don't tell, but it is very clearly telling, isn't it? <laughs> it is pretty much. And I was going to talk, well, maybe we'll talk about it next episode, but there's a lot of parallels between... David and Maine throughout the series. Oh, yeah. I and think I've, that's very intentional. Yeah. Um, but maybe we'll talk about that next episode. Yeah, I think we'll get that into next montage. episode. Because yeah. that, that's an awesome. Anyway. Um, so, yeah. he go, They leave. They've agreed to um, to help him, to have him run a, a job with them, I guess, because he can move so fast. Uh, but he's upset that Lucy lied to him. He's having a sulk. Um, and goes back and he just kind of sits staring at his mum's ashes Gets a call from the principal, uh, and basically, while he has been kicked out, the Arasaka Corporation has given him a scholarship. 
Yeah. But he has to apologize to Tanaka. Katsuo. Yeah, he's got to apologize. No, some of them. Oh yeah, the son, the father, who cares? You're right. Who yeah, cares? it doesn't matter. It doesn't matter, honestly, because he hangs friends. up when Maine calls and Maine goes over the heist. And I love the sequence they do where they're saying, this will be the plan for the heist and we get to see it happening at the same time. Like, that's just a nice... Oh yeah, that's like a thing. really smooth... It was like a smooth transition. Yeah. Kind of, yeah. Particularly because what goes wrong is... Like, everything goes perfectly and... It's the end of the heist that goes wrong. And yep. that's when everything goes to shit and they have to go to the backup plan. So it makes sense to just show us it as it's happening rather than show how it's meant to go and then show it how it does go. Because it kind of goes perfectly. Yeah. It's just something slips up and suddenly they're stealing a car and going, chasing down the freeway. And what did you think about the introduction of Rebecca's character? Because Rebecca... Rebecca's an important character. Yes. Yeah. But like at the start, it's like, here's the crew, you know, this person, you know, this person, but they're like, they don't introduce Rebecca until, do you think that's a bit weird? Do you find that a bit weird or? No, I feel that at that point they didn't need to, like, they were like, this is going to be the, the key mission. The key mission is going to be just us. It's going to be Sandy. It's going to be Kiwi. It's going to be. Sandy. It's going to be David. Sandy. <laughs> just yeah, call him Sandy. <laughs> yeah. Uh, it's going to be David. It's going to be Dario. It's going to be um, Maine and Kiwi. That's all you need to know. Like, Pilar's not even there. Mm-hmm. So, it's like, there's a backup plan that Maine knows, but David is just there to do his bit and get out. He's, he doesn't need to know anything else about it. Yeah. So, I feel it makes sense that we're not introduced to him, to anyone else, because why would David be introduced to them yet? Yeah, and that's also, like, a good good lesson there, I guess, is to not overwhelm people with information, because they're not going to remember. They're not going to know. Well, this is an interesting point, that we're not overwhelmed with information. And a little bit later, when Faraday shows up at the party, he's saying that Maine doesn't need all the information. Oh, the parallels. Yeah, it's like you don't have oh, to tell I love Faraday's eye. Oh, Faraday's eye is amazing. Eye. His eye is so cool. I love it. Yeah, he looks like a human-sized angel from me- ne- Neon Genesis. Oh, yeah, yeah. Yeah. Um, it's interesting. Okay, well, yeah, let's, we're getting ahead of ourselves. We're getting let's... ahead of ourselves. So uh, the plan goes to shit. The plan was very basic. It was stage a fight or have a fight that the, the target bets on go poorly for him. He's going to drown his sorrows. That gives David the opportunity to jack the nav data that they need. But apparently the guy has to leave early. So they try to get it directly from the car. That doesn't get work. This is when Rebecca shows up uh, trying to distract him. But they end up stealing the car instead and just basically have to drive before a hit squad shows up to get them. But of course, a bounty goes out on the car really quickly. And now they're in a chase to get back to Aldo's warehouse. Yep. And we get to see some cool uh, tiger claw bikers, like another kind of rival gang and other, another flavor of the punks in Night City. Yeah, I was. I don't even know who these people are. They don't come up again, I think, do they? I don't think so. I just assumed it was just the two of them. Yeah, it's just their whole gang is just two dudes. Two go- two dudes on bikes. That's it. <laughs> yep. Yeah. Um, that not- no, that was super it- cool. Super cool. And then I'm wondering if in like the dub because they were speaking Japanese yeah. in the dubbed version, so I'm wondering if the subbed 
if they were also if they were in English oh, or something. Yeah. Just to be funny, I wonder, yeah. I wonder. I wonder. That'd be really cool, actually. Actually, they're just like, like really American dudes. Like, yeah, they're like one on like um, Harley Davidsons. Mm-hmm. If anyone actually listened to the the sub, uh, let us know what they were speaking. Because yeah, we be... don't have time for that. Yeah, we're yeah. not going to watch that. <laughs> uh, anyway, David kills both. Well, no, actually, David kills one of them uh, with some fancy driving. He just like gets him plowed up by a truck. But the other one shows up just as they get to the warehouse, and like we get to see Lucy in action, which is awesome too. And her cool wire weapon. I forget the yeah. name of it. It's like hot I, wire I, or something. Or like I call it a wire. nano whip. That sounds better than... Yeah. Or a <laughs> monofilament I... whip. Oh. That sounds correct. Um, yeah. I've read a lot of sci-fi. Uh, but it was... Yeah, it was super cool getting to see, mm. like, her in combat. Yeah, and it seems like she's very talented more so than you'd expect like she seems some like someone who hits fast and then runs off but she seems to actually have some some uh packing power when she come when she hits someone oh it's called a mono wire sorry I just oh you. damn i was so close uh the mono wire basically just cuts this guy into like little chunks of sausage yeah and he just I, like doesn't care at all he just keeps fighting no. like it's just you cut off one arm and then he's got like a different spike coming out a different part of his body. Like it's, yeah. Well, I think this is a really telling thing about cyberpunk that they can lose limbs and they're like, yeah, I'll just get that replaced. I think it's a great, um, when, you know, whenever you're dealing with like hit points and RPGs and you're like Mm -hmm. trying to visualize it and it's normally like really tough to like, Oh, like he's lost, you know, 20 HP, but he's still got five left. Like, how do you, Mm-hmm. kind of represent that in cyberpunk you're like oh yeah just, his limbs have just been totally cut off but he's still going because he's, he's still going still can. you yeah. just like cut both his legs off but they just grow new ones and he keeps coming yeah. but you're probably going to slow him <laughs> down a bit now i love it and um yeah he's finally finished off by main's arm cannon when main just shows up out of nowhere just pinning him to the wall now was that the same style of arm cannon that the guy in the first episode had the um the soldier that the sandy came Ooh. from I'm not sure, actually. I don't know, but we think I think David adopts that arm cannon later, doesn't he? Yeah, he does, and I assumed that was partly just to have the parallels between Maine and David stick closer, but also it's just the model of arm cannon that gets installed. It's like that's just the one you buy. Yeah, I mean, listen, arm cannons—they're a niche market, right? Are they though? I mean, so many other things you can put in your arm, right? You've got to think of That's the opportunity true. costs. That's yeah. true. Uh, uh, so anyway, this is enough of a success of a mission that Maine lets him on the crew and gives him some advice and gives him some money and some drugs, some amino blockers, uh, since, since cyberware is going to be good and useful for him. Uh, and also is like, hey, if you're going to use the Sandy this often, you should probably get other cyberware, otherwise your body's just going to tear itself apart. Like... Yeah, Human good flesh advice. can't yeah. keep up with the way you're moving. And that's an interesting thing as well, where it's like, mm. even though you're replacing parts, the rest of you still needs to, to keep up, right? It's yeah. not just like a, a quick fix solution. Like, you just have the, have the cash to splash. You still have to, like, put the effort in, you know? Mm. Mm. And it's like, you're still moving at that speed that he goes at. 
Like, well, we saw this when he hit um, when he hit Katsu in the second episode. That his fist, like, really hurt. Like, that's going to mess you up because you're moving at the same speed that Sandy is. If you don't yeah. have like a a adamantium um, fist, okay. you're going to feel a lot of pain. Adamantium yeah. fist is the name of my X Men cover band. Right. And it, oh, okay. I don't want to. No follow up questions. <laughs> uh, yeah. But it's like, it has to be earned, right? It's not just yeah. like, yeah, just because you're the richest person in town necessarily puts you above everyone else, you know? And mm. I kind of like that. Yeah. Yeah. It's not just the tech, there's still that, that human element. Mm. It does have to be that, that mind behind it as well to, to know how to use it just as much as, as using it. Yeah. I like that. Uh, speaking of the man behind, or the, the mind behind it all, uh, Faraday shows up. So now we get to talk about Faraday and how he looks. Does he actually have four eyes? Oh, and Gian- Giancolo Esposito. Giancolo oh. Esposito, yes. Yep, that's oh, the his voice. He's oh. just an amazing voice, yeah. Yeah, he has that villain voice going on. Oh, he's, he's pretty typecast at this point. I, I feel, know, but, but who cares? <laughs> yeah, it works. Yeah. It just as soon as he shows up, he's just like, "Oh, you were supposed to take the nav data, not the car." And- I believe I was clear when I requested only the navigation data, not Arasaka corporate property. You get what you asked for, didn't you? What I asked for above all else was your discretion in the matter. It's he's the perfect quest giver to me because this okay. so far has been everything a D and D party does every single time. Like, they have a plan, they fuck it up, um, <laughs> yeah. due to no fault of their own, and then they go back to the quest giver and go, hey, we got the thing for it. And he's like, you did exactly the opposite of what I asked yep. for. You have fucked all of this up, and I paid you because you did the job, but I'm mad at you. And they're like, oh, but, but, but. It's like, no, 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 no. They fucked oh, that's up. My favorite. That's my favorite quest giver. Yeah, I love pulling that one on my party. Yeah. Just when they just when they think they're, they're doing so hot, you know, you bring them bring them back down a peg. It really Maine's response very much is he's like, "We well, you didn't tell us everything," and Faraday's saying things like, "You don't need to know everything. That's my job." And it's a great way of, like you said, pulling them down that peg of, "You're the heroes of our game, but you're not the heroes of the story right now." That there's other yeah. stuff going on. And that's an important... It depends on the, the kind of game you want to run, yeah. obviously. But that's, yeah. like, an important thing to establish. <laughs> it's, like, one of those early things they tell new DMs and, for like, people who are new to D&D, like, you can just die if you pick the wrong fight, right? Like, this mm. is a big world, and it's not it's not like a video game where it's all linear and it's it's scaled to you necessarily, right? Um, but, yeah, just that idea that there's, there's bigger th- things and there's more dangerous things out there. You need mm. to be careful and you need to understand sort of your limits. Mm-hmm. That there is a bigger story and more dangerous things than the yeah. stuff right around you right now. And the Game Master's there to shepherd you, but if you want to immerse yourself in that world, you have to accept that there are going to be some things that are way beyond your capabilities. Yeah. And that's uh, an NPC like that's the, the kind of perfect thing for it, you know, and a quest like that. And reacting that way to the quest is a good way to, to demonstrate that as well. What is unbelievable, well, unrealistic in my experience with role-playing games uh, is that they didn't then attack Faraday and try and mug him. Yeah. <laughs> yeah. I mean, he didn't show 
Did he have security with him or anything like that? He didn't, I believe. I, I, he had the car, and I'm assuming there was security in the car, but I think he steps out yeah. by himself. Which also adds, like, an element of this guy can take care of himself, you know? Yeah. But I think there's also a moment, like, David just, like, who the hell's that guy? And Maine explains, that's Faraday, he's a really good fixer. It's like, he's the one that brings you work. Who's that? Faraday. The middleman who landed us the gig. He happens to be a top fixer around these parts. Thought you were the big boss making all the calls. Nah, I'm the guy who gets shit done. And he's the one holding all the eddies. Without him and his scratch, you ain't nothing in this biz. It's as simple as that. Like, if you don't have someone like him bringing you work, if you kill that guy, no one's going to bring you work again. Yeah, you can't just go around killing people for no reason and expect to get paid for it, you know? Yeah. No, like, you've got to have a the, reason before yeah. killing them. Yeah, despite all the recklessness, it's not like just pure murder hoboing. Well, no, it really isn't. It's like they had a. It's not murder hoboing because they're not just doing it for fun. They had a a mission, basically. They didn't murder off the bodyguard and just take his stuff. It's like they had to do it in a certain way. Yeah, exactly. And, and <laughs> can we yeah. talk about, like, when they were fixing the fight, they just fully killed that woman? Like, yeah. that's their way of fixing the fight. Wait, who killed the woman? Well, well, like, the other boxer had, like, a spike in her fist. So when she uppercut, she just, like, spiked her through the brain. So is that illegal? I would assume so. Because it seemed like like this was just part of the show. Like, it seemed like the, the well, large... I thought it was, like, butcher, a dirty, underhanded butcher. thing. Yeah. I wasn't sure. Because it seemed like they very much fixed the fight. Oh, yeah. Um, but feels like that would be noticed very obviously. I figured it was just like, you, you try not to kill them, but oh, well, you killed them. Yeah. I mean, that's, <laughs> again, it's just, I find it funny because you always kind of forget a little bit the, the rules of the world. You think of like the real world or other, other less, uh, or other more reserved kind of fantasy worlds. And then in Cyberpunk, it's like, yeah, no, this boxing fight, like, you'll just get stabbed in the brain when they punch yeah. you. Whoops. Just, yeah, whoops, yeah. And who was the the woman that stabbed the butcher? Was it, was that, that wasn't Dorio. It wasn't Dorio, but she was, like, in the background. Oh, so it was just another one of the crew? It was just some person, I think. I think Dorio was the okay. one who, like, hooked them up with the cyberware okay. or something like that, yeah. That makes sense, because it seemed like they just kind of knew that the butcher was going to lose this time. Like, all right, great. And there's like a wink to her. It's like, did you like pay them to win? Cause I feel like they should want to win anyway. Yeah. Particularly if one of them is going to get killed. So like you probably want to want to be the winner in that case. <laughs> yeah. Anyway, uh, well, I don't know. Yeah. Anyway, that's, that's, that's kind of yeah. makes sense. Uh, so back to Faraday. Um, sure. And I don't think I've actually got much more to say beyond Faraday's amazing. And he's awesome. super cool and his eyes. Cool. And later he's on... His, he's got one eye on one side and then like three on the other. And so you could still call him like four eyes. Yeah. I, I just wonder, what are those four eyes for? I mean, they always seem to be looking in the same direction, right? That They're not yeah. like independent. I just, I wonder so much, like his one reading stocks while the other one's like checking security or apps or something. It's like, yeah, it's just uh, people with just like too many monitors. And it's yeah. just, 
Well, I wonder. Well, the thing is, you can like, you don't have to have a reason, right? If you're the That's right, true. if you're the DM, you just say, hey, you just make a thing look cool, and then the players will like theorize and come up with their own ideas as to what it could be, and you just steal that, guys. You just steal it from your players, <laughs> and that, they'll be happy because they were right, you know. That totally, that totally works for me. Like they just went, this is the aesthetic, but it's for these reasons. Yeah. Yeah. Uh, but also, what he reveals here is that they're actually targeting Tanaka. Um, yeah, like, they're bringing it back to lower the guard, his guard or something. And a lot of it's all you know interconnected, and I think that's again the benefit of the the smaller series format. Everything's mm. just kind of related, and it, it is a really like kind of tight story, right? Yeah. Overall, it really yeah. is. Uh, so after Tanaka leaves, after Tanaka leaves, after Faraday leaves, um, Main kind of explains his purpose, and then he's David sees. Lucy with Pilar and is like, oh, so they're together, I guess. And that's when Rebecca shows up again and is like, hey, thanks for the help out. You remember me, right? I'm that little girl who um, kind of hit on the the target. Yeah, that's the, the polite way of saying it. Yeah. yeah. Um, then the principal calls again and David's like, no, don't care. Not going to apologize. If Castro wants revenge, I'm going to come to him or he's going to come to me or something and goes, go fuck yourself. And then it ends. Oh, but he also has a problem drinking beer again. Yep, specifically because it's carbonated. Yeah, I still don't get that. Yeah, it's a, just a... Just one of those just an innocence. Things. Yeah, I think it's just to like show off his innocence, but it is just kind of funny because it feels like not a big thing. I don't know. It's just weird to me. It never really comes up again after this, so I guess it doesn't matter. <laughs> Actually, no, that's right, because the next episode is very much about how he loses his innocence. So I guess it makes sense that this is the last time yeah. we see that. Oh, maybe. Yeah. Now, I want to go back and talk about that chase scene from the heist pretty much onwards, because I feel this is the episode of the heist. It's really built... Like, the first part is David leading up to the heist, and then you've got that big chunk in the middle of them doing it, trying to get away everything happening and then it's just kind of got the denouement at the after party so the heist itself is kind of the crux of this episode yes yes and Um, i particularly like it because this is what i come to cyberpunk for like that you get given a mission and particularly as an rpg um because obviously i love Shadowrun, i love cyberpunk i love all these kind of things i love that idea of the heist where you give them the mission as the game master, you've got all the stakes laid out. You've got all the things that might happen. But what the players come up with, it's it's going to be crazy. You give them the power to plan the whole thing. And you yeah. just kind of get to respond to it. Absolutely. I've not really run a lot of heists, so I can't really... You should. It's really I can't run. Yeah, I can't really contribute much there. I know there is a system... Ugh, can't remember it. But it's built around the idea of like flashbacks when you're doing oh, yeah. the heist. Um, yeah. I want to say it's Blades in the Dark that uses that. Yeah, that does kind of ring a bell. Um, and that's like a cool idea. I really like that. Yeah. Where you just do the heist and then whenever you encounter an obstacle, you'll kind of flash back to the preparation stage and then see whether you were successful in your preparation, essentially. So whether you have the means to overcome this obstacle in this specific way. Yeah, and I think it's one of those ones where you get a little token and you come up against the obstacle and you can use the token to say, we've just taken care of this already. 
And obviously the game master is going to throw more obstacles than there are tokens. Yeah, I mean, that's the other problem. It's like, this happens in like 5th edition with stealth checks, I find, Mm -hmm. where you want to keep asking for checks, but then, Mm -hmm. you know, that just increases the chance of failure. And right, Mm -hmm. so like, how do you find that balance of, of like keeping the stakes high, but without it just like crumbling at the slightest kind of misfortune or, or failed role? Well, I think this is the example of how to do that actually, because everything goes right in their first heist, in their first part of it. Like, it's very simple. He's, everything works with the fight. David grabs the the chip. It's all good. And then they realize they're going to have to, they're going to have to extrapolate. They're going to have to use the backup and distract him again. And it's more, you just keep adding stuff to it rather Mm. than, making them check for the same thing over and over. Yeah, and rather than, I guess, not necessarily, like, sticking to the original goal, right? You're kind of shifting the goalposts a little bit. Yeah. But also doing it quickly enough that they can't have enough time to think about it. Oh, you don't want to give D&D players time to think. No, if you you give them time to plan, then they're just going to be there for three hours. But I'm I'm thinking about this because they just go, okay... They only had two options. They could get it directly from the car, but that would be too obvious. So they don't want to do that. So they've got to get it from the chip. They're getting it from the chip. And then they realize he's going back to the car. He's going to realize the chip's gone. So they have to go do it from the car anyway. And I'm thinking about like, what are their success roles? This is when Rebecca shows up and is trying to distract him. And like her success role works, but it only delays him for a certain amount of time. Yeah. And And in theory, there's even like another option where they could, like, kidnap the guy or, like, interrogate him, something like that, right? There's still yeah. other... Yeah. There's still a whole bunch of options. And it's like, okay, cool. So now you're in the car and you're doing these things. And it's like, okay, you're doing these success roles and you've got it, but also now time's up and you're trapped in the car. So it's not making them roll and roll and roll until they fail. It's giving them some success and then saying, but something else has happened and you've got to deal with that now. Yeah, yeah. Um... And I, well, I love the inside of the car, and I love mm-hmm. how it's got the wood specifically, because I feel like that's such a even like now obviously that would be a, a great status symbol, but I feel like in the world of cyberpunk even more so. And that's come up in what was it? It comes up in Blade Runner, I think, where there's like yeah. real wood. Yeah. Well, it's about how amazing that is. Looking at um, do Andrew's dream of electric sheep like that it's based on and one of the the blueprints for cyberpunk it's all about him i think he's trying i'm trying to remember what he's actually trying to buy it's like a real live animal like rather than an an electronic one he wants to buy a real animal that he can then have as a status symbol do we see any animals in cyberpunk i don't think so that's interesting i have to look into Mm. that Mm. Unless you count the humans as the animals. Cyber rats. <laughs> I just see a little rat running along with like a, um, a chip in its head <laughs> as it learns karate. It's got a little little rat-sized Sandy. Yeah, <laughs> just moving so I mean, fast. So- somebody's got to have done that, right? In the cyberpunk world? Like, oh, surely. for sure. For sure. Someone's been testing on animals. Uh, but yeah, I just think that chase sequence in particular, like chase sequences in D&D in particular are very hard to do. 
And every time I've tried oh, to run one, yeah. they've failed. And I've stolen from all the other systems I can think of to try to make chase sequences work. And I still haven't been able to get it to work. So yeah. I'm really impressed every time there's a chase sequence. I'm like, I don't know how you do this, but it looks so cool. Yeah, I've briefly... We touched. We talked about this the other day, actually. Yeah. But I one of the problems that I have in D&D is just, like, the range. And the difference in ranges, um, because, like... The long range spells and like the longbow range is so big, yeah. Um, and it's just you know if you break it down turn by turn, like you'll be there all day with them just preparing shots uh, mm. in a chase sequence potentially, because uh, it's just not really designed around that. And, yeah. I often try to use something like the Starfinder chase system, where you put them more in bands, where and each the difference between each band is like five hundred feet or something. So is this in, in like spaceships? Like, yeah. Or is this, okay. Yeah. In their, their version, it's in spaceships, but I do the same for, for chases as well in for D and D like just foot chases. I'm just like, okay. When you're in bed, when you're both in the same band, you can make ranged attacks and you can make melee attacks or something like that. But when you're in a different band, they're just too far away. Yeah. But you can still see them and you can kind of know where they're going. And that way it cuts down on them going, okay, I'm just going to shoot at them. It's like, you can try, but it's going to be really far. Yeah. And and side note that you can actually use that, like, that's a good system for just combat in general. Like, if you want to be kind of abstract and loose kind of theater of the mind, you just say, like, okay, either they're close enough to get in melee or they're not. Yeah. Or they're close enough to be in range or they're not. Like, Mm. that's pretty much it. Yeah. That's um, another one that Star Trek Adventures uses. That, again, they've got the bands of this is the close-up to... And you just kind of throw stuff on the board and just say, okay, to this area is long range, to that area is even, like, out of range. And all of it is just kind of mind of... I just want to change, like, bands of where I am. Um, Yeah. Oh, and speaking of range, sorry, I just remember that I've played the cyberpunk rpg oh that's right um, you have yeah yeah <laughs> it's almost like a reason i got you to talk about this yeah uh yeah well because um compared to like D where you roll to hit versus like their armor class mm. in the cyberpunk rpg the number you're trying to beat when you're making attack rolls is based on the distance to your target essentially ah uh, okay uh, and that distance will obviously vary depending on the weapon you're using and there'll mm. also be like a sweet spot, like for the rifles, I think it's, if you're too close, you know, the number's a bit higher because yeah. it's not effective range. Um, but yeah, basically that, that number you're trying to hit is based on range. So that's a big thing in the cyberpunk RPG. Yeah, that makes sense. Hmm. Should look into those. Uh, and it also means you're just trying to hit the same numbers every time, which in a way, yeah. like it simplifies it a bit because it's not dependent on the enemy, you know? Yeah. Yeah, I like that because you can kind of boil it down to i just need much easier to learn anyway so you just need to get a four and then it's just the player doing it themselves right like it's not the dm you're not having to do the back and forth like oh does this hit oh wait let me check you know yeah no i like that yeah oh i'm gonna have to i'm definitely gonna have to play cyberpunk ah yeah absolutely i did manage to snag a um uh, I've ordered a what's it called the GM screen because I've got oh of course yeah of course why yep. wouldn't you as a yeah. GM screen collector I love GM screens yeah they're the best they really are 
anything else you'd like to say about this episode? Oh, absolutely. I saw it in my notes. I just saw it now. There's Fantastic. A bit, there's a bit at the start of the episode. It's one of my favorite things in, mm-hmm. in movies and TV shows where he says, so you guys are cyberpunks, huh? Mm-hmm. <laughs> Was uh, this some kind of edge runner? Some kind of name drop? <laughs> I thought you were going to mention what, um, what Maine calls him. When he's chewing him out for stealing his Sandy. He's clapping oh, his sta- sta- Sandy. He says. Oh, yeah, they're clapping, yeah. Uh, he calls him a piss nipper. You hear that? Should just rip the damn thing out myself. Maybe then you'd finally learn not to clap shit that ain't yours, you piss nipper. <laughs> Must have missed that one. I don't know what a piss nipper is, but that is a great phrase that I'm going to call people it from now on. <laughs> Uh, yeah, good luck with that. We'll see. Yeah, uh... We'll see how it goes. We'll see how it goes. Uh, no, I like that as well when they, because it's never really explained what a cyberpunk is beyond it's, it's, a punk it's who true, is cyber. Yeah. <laughs> it's one of those, like, everyone says it, but like, you're too afraid to ask because, you know, at mm-hmm. this point it's too late. Yeah. It's like, you're cyberpunks, aren't you? It's like, they're seven foot tall. They're made of muscle and chrome. I, yeah, I suspect they might be. Yeah. Yeah, that would make sense. And it feels like there's only like three different type versions of people in this world. There's uh, corporate people, there's bums, and there's cyberpunks. It's like if you don't fit into one of those three categories, you're no one. You don't exist. (laughs) Yeah. Um, Yeah, at least in... I haven't played as much as the video game. But I know there's like other types. There's a little bit more diversity. I should hope so. There's got to be someone selling hot dogs. Um, but it works. It works for the show, right? To just yeah. distill it down to those three. Yeah, absolutely. Yeah. And I think it seems pretty clear of what cyberpunks are. It's like, if you're doing this stuff, you're criminal. Like, this it's is... Like, it's different not flavors polite of criminal. Society. Yeah. yeah. You've got corporate criminal, and you've got, like, high class and low class, essentially. Yeah, like, uh, Faraday is the high class, the white collar criminal. Yeah. Yeah, is that we we talk about most of the stuff. It's not I think, like we said; it was a, a big pretty episode. simple episode. Yeah, it was and pretty. Simple I really episode. like that for it. It's like it's just start, middle, finish. That's all you really need. It's like there was a problem, it got solved, and now we move on to the next episode. I mean, it it's, was um, it was high octane. You know, it was a lot yeah. of action. Yeah, yeah. Uh, thankfully, we well, we're going to have a, a new segment on D and D and TV because we've actually received a question uh, from a listener. Um, so if you've got questions, send them through to dndntvpod at gmail.com. Um, but this question comes in to us from longtime listener, first time caller. Um, I'm not going to give their name cause they asked me not to, uh, but they've said, if you had a P- if you had to have a piece of, si- of hardware installed cyberpunk style, what would you give up? Now I'm going to assume that that means what would you have installed? Like, would you have your lungs taken out and put better lungs yeah. in? Yeah. Or, Are we living in a cyberpunk world? I'm going to assume yes. Okay. Because this is an interesting one. I was wondering about this as well, to tell the truth. Because thankfully I had the question earlier, so I could um, have a think about it. I'm just springing it on a thief right now. To <laughs> he had no knowledge of this coming going forward. Um, I think I would probably do something with my... My stomach. Your stomach? Certainly something to do with organs. 
Like to be able to process things a bit better. Like a liver, so you can just drink a lot. Yeah. Okay, yeah, I can or, see that. or like even the stomach staple idea. It's like where you reduce it and you don't gain weight as much. It's like that seems like the kind of thing I'd do. And it's like, yeah, I'm just going to not have to think about this stuff. It's the same as why I have a dishwasher. It's like, so I don't have to think about those things. Yeah. <laughs> sure. Um, I was asking about like the context of the world just in case of like. You know, because for cyberpunks, they get all these, like, weaponry and things like that put yeah. in. But it's if I'm just, like, living my day-to-day like I do now, I don't think that'll be very useful. No, I'm assuming we live in, like, a cyberpunk world. Like, if you want an arm cannon, you can have an arm cannon. Oh, wait, I know what I'd have. <laughs> yeah. Uh, I, unless you've got one, I, I'm very excited by this, and I'm surprised I didn't think of this first. Um, no, go ahead, yeah. Okay, Wolverine Claws. I'm giving myself Wolverine Claws. Uh, yeah, yeah. Yeah, that makes sense. It's kind of funny. I guess they specifically avoid it for obvious reasons, but yeah, absolutely, people would get that. I'm going to point out that I was in love with Wolverine Claws before I'd ever seen the X-Men. Um, going back to Shadowrun again, there's a <laughs> shot of the street samurai, and he's got like his hand up in front of his face, oh and God. the claws are coming out of the back of his hand. I'm like, that's the best thing ever. I want those. And then I discovered Wolverine, and it's like, well, of course. What's the um? What's the Lady Wolverine from X Men Two? Lady her? Wolverine, Lady Deathstrike. Yeah, Lady Deathstrike. That's her. Okay. Yeah. What if I got like that, like the claws, but I only got them on one hand? That would be cool. Yeah. This is Which a side reference that no one else is going to get. <laughs> if, only, if only the nails on one of my hands can grow. <laughs> but which hand is the question? No, I think okay. I think actually, I would get like eyes i'd get like cyber oh, yeah. eyes i think those would be cool i'd like to be able to see things stuff like x-ray or you know heat vision see i don't think i'd do anything to my eyes unless i had a problem with my eyes so my eyes already already got yeah problems. that's true that's yeah. true as soon as my sight started to go i think i'd replace one eye yeah one eye is like a cool idea Actually, you know what? No, I think I'd have to have like lose my vision entirely to want to replace my eyes. There's something about replacing things in my head, which is just a little bit too much for me. What if you just get additional eyes, though, like Faraday? Mm, still, uh, I'm not sure. I- I'm not sure about that, honestly. It's okay. a little bit too... A little bit too... Like, okay. the idea yeah, of, yeah. of Ripper Doc and Pilar as well, having their arms removed and, like, new hands put on, like, that's that's too much for me. I don't think I'd be able to do that level of it. It's like, adding something to me? Yes. If it's actually giving up, like, hey, I want to have yeah. Inspector Gadget legs. It's like, and I've got to lose my legs to do it. I feel like we no. could talk about this for a long, for a long time. No. About different things. I would... The other thing is just, like, anything... That could just extend my limbs, you know. Just oh, to, like, I'm so glad you said or... limbs. Yeah. <laughs> yeah. Uh, oh, yeah sorry, that, extend my good. knowledge. Yep. Yeah. Yeah. That's what we're definitely. Yeah, because about. that's just super convenient, right? Like it's yeah. Yeah. Something on the high shelf. Reach up. Yeah. Yeah. It's the it's the uh, Mr. Fantastic. Uh, Absolutely. Group. Yeah. I would love Mr. Fantastic's powers, but that's just again, that's a whole other discussion. That's a whole other discussion for when we get into the movies. All right. Well, that is yeah. the question. Thank you um, so much, listener, for writing in and telling us. Uh, so there is one more thing that we need to do before we wrap up the episode, and that is pick a character from the show we just watched to use in one of our 
um, role-playing games. Uh, and I'll go first. Uh, mine's a pretty basic one, and I'm sure Afif's got one as well, but I'm going to go first anyway. Uh, I have picked Main. I probably went a little bit early on picking Main, but I like that he has this this lawful evil code um, as as a cyberpunk edge runner. It's like he protects the people in his crew. He does, does he, things. Is he evil? Yeah, because he commits crimes. But isn't that like more chaotic than? Oh, this is another discussion. Well, I think this is the altru. I think this is the idea of altruism versus. Um, What's the thing that's not altruism? Selfishness, I guess. Right. He, I guess he was uh, about. He was ready to kill David at the start of the yeah. episode. It's like he's ready to kill David, and other people's other people's problems don't concern him. He's more concerned about things that are good for him and his people. But that the fact that he cares about his people suggests that he does have a set of ethics. They're just yeah. his ethics, and I just kind of like him. I think he's cool. It's like, that's the kind of character I would be playing if I was running Cyberpunk. He might be the dumb muscle, he might be the leader, but that idea of the arm cannon, of just the the cool glasses, the the spiky haircut, yeah, that's what I picture when I go, yep, Cyberpunk. So, main is my pick. Um, Yeah, I'm going to pick Pilar, um, because he's not around for much longer, spoiler alert. What? (laughs) Uh, but yeah, his his long arms is basically like a polar master build in D anD D, right? But like with a monk twist on it, I guess. Oh yeah, yeah, yeah. Uh, yeah. You don't actually see him in action all that much, though. So you, I don't think you do it all, really. No, you I'm not even really sure what his what role in the crew was. Yeah, I think. I mean, you would suspect maybe like like sticky fingers, like a roguish kind of. But then, like they bring David in for that kind of. Yeah, but um, maybe that's the point that before Dave was around, this was uh, Pilar's job. Yeah. Maybe. I feel that he's more like a bard jack of all trades. Maybe. Like, yeah, he's, he's able to. Yeah. yeah, he's got the bard horniness. Definitely the horniness. Um, but he's able to lift purses. He's able to drive. He's able to shoot. He's able to do a little bit of everything. Yeah. Uh, so he's just kind of that whenever you need someone to do something kind of well. It's like, that's what they get Pilar for. Yeah, I guess. Yeah. We can just make a lot of assumptions about this poor man. Yeah, because what the fuck? He doesn't get much characterization <laughs> yeah, yeah. beyond horny, no hands. <laughs> uh, I do have a... Uh, yeah, I was going to say how much he looks like Lobo, but that doesn't matter. Uh, <laughs> excellent. So that is our episode. Uh, thank you so much for tuning in Uh, tune in next week when we talk about episode 4 you can subscribe wherever podcasts are found and you can leave ratings and reviews that would be really great if you want to get in touch I mentioned the email address earlier you can also send us um, love on Instagram uh, because Twitter is a shit show Uh, so either way it's the same it's at dndv at dndntvpod where there's going to be a whole bunch of posts and stuff but that'd be cool if you got in touch is there anything else you need to say? Oh yeah, this episode is brought to you by uh, Masters of Alchemy, the premier Melbourne dungeon game mastering service, um, where you can get a game master to run Cyberpunk for you. And, that's uh, us. That's us, yeah. Uh, you can also find us at Fortress on Sundays, uh, Fortress Emporium in Melbourne on Sundays, where we'll also run D&D for you as well. Uh, I think that's everything. There's no way to find a thief online because you have uh, scrubbed all trace of you from yourself from the internet. 
very wise. Yep, I'm part of the old net. The old net, okay. <laughs> You're not jacked in, as the kids call it. Yep. Uh, so until next time, stay safe, be kind to yourselves, Wesley crushed out there, and may all your hits be crits. Thank you.